in Mark chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. This is the word of the Lord. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, New Orsi. Good to be back. The China team, uh, we are back safely. Everyone's healthy. Uh, thank you so much for your prayers. We really felt your prayers out there in China. Um, uh, we got in this morning, 4 a.m., so a little bit, just a little bit tired. But uh, we did not want to miss uh, today. Today is Movement Sunday, as Charles shared. Uh, Movement Sundays here at New Mercy are Sundays where we, we take a pause uh, to really uh, sense uh, how God is moving throughout the world. Um, so intentionally, uh, you know, we hear stories from missionaries. We share about our, our Mercy Global and Mercy Local uh, events and uh, uh, things that we do through, through those ministries. But today we have a very uh, special guest uh, that is here from the International Justice Mission, right? I'm sure most of you guys heard of that organization. Uh, a very vibrant, uh, just happening kind of organization uh, in, for this generation. So very, very excited to have uh, our friend, uh, Pastor Rich Lee here. I remember uh, growing up in Jersey, growing up in Jersey, um, uh, serving in our youth groups uh, during those days. Uh, remember uh, meeting Pastor Rich for the first time. I think we we're both in like high school or something, and uh, I don't know if he, he remembers, but I remember us trying to do some uh, joint like youth group leaders meeting or something like that. And I still remember him uh, very passionate even at that youth group age. Uh, then he went through. Uh, Gordon Kano, which is the best seminary in the world, right? I'm deep there. So, um, but yeah, it's been just God's uh, faithfulness about just watching him and being also co-workers uh, in the same area and serving and also his heart for the world, for, for justice and things like that. So we are very honored to have a very special guest speaker uh, representing International Justice Mission. So with that, I want to invite uh, Pastor Rich up. Can we just give him a big, big applause? morning. It's good to see all of you guys here today. Thank you for um, having me uh, here, even though you probably didn't have anything to do with that. But um, here nonetheless, um, and I recognize that, you know, when you wake up and you come to church this morning, you probably did not know that there was going to be a guest speaker here. You probably expect Pastor Wanjay or Pastor Key or John up here, and uh, yet you see me. So uh, for that, I apologize. Uh, in advance, uh, but just also want to call out the fact that whenever something is not the way that we expect it to be, uh, there's, there's always a sense of surprise, uh, or in some cases, shock. Um, anyone here who is married 
may know a thing about that or two, or if you know somebody that's married, you may know about that as well. Uh, Every marriage starts out with a honeymoon period, and the honeymoon period is where, you know, you can see no wrong and do no wrong, and it's okay if your spouse, uh, you know, pushes the toothpaste from the top of the tube, uh, or, you know, know, the wife says to the husband, that's okay, you know, leave the seat up, I'll put it down for you, Uh, you know, that sort of a thing. It's one of those those things where the honeymoon period uh, is just, it allows us to kind of gloss over all of these different flaws. Um, But my wife and I, we've gone through our own honeymoon period, and we've been married for 11 wonderful years. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Both of you. Um, Now, what I should have said, full disclosure, is that we've been married for a total of 14 years, but 11 wonderful years. Um, She quickly saw me for who I was. She quickly saw me uh, for, you know, that this... This husband thing is not quite what it appears to be. This marriage thing is not quite what it appears to be. Uh, And, you know, anytime that happens, there's this ensuing sense of shock. Well, what you're going to hear today may be a little bit shocking for you. It may be uh, uncomfortable. It may be even scary for you. uh, But I can guarantee you that everything that you're going to hear today is real. I work for an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission, And we work on the front lines of ending slavery and sex trafficking in nearly 20 cities throughout the world. What I want to say to you here today is that the world is not what it appears to be. This world that you woke up to in Hackensack, New Jersey, in Bergen County, is not what it appears to be. Let me bear this out for you. So I want to give you some numbers. The first number I want to give you is 36 million. 36 million is what the estimates are currently for the number of enslaved children, men, and women throughout the world. 36 million. 36 million represents more slaves today than at any other time in history. But that number 36 million can be a little bit overwhelming, so let me bear this out for you. We'll see what this means. 36 million, if you took the population of New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Maryland and Delaware, all together with West Virginia and Virginia. 36 million. Let me give you another number. The another, second number I want to give you is 150 billion. $150 billion, which was the profit in just last year, through forced human trafficking, sex trafficking, and forced labor trafficking. $150 billion in one year made in profit. Now, that number, $150 billion, can be a little bit unattainable for some of us. We don't really kind of have a grasp of how much money that is. None of you here make $150 billion. If you do, incidentally, I would love to talk to you after service. Uh, So please talk to me in the back. Um, But $150 billion is a lot of money. So so much so that if you took the, the Fortune 500 company, if you took the top eight companies in the Fortune 500 list, and you combined what they made and profit in 2015. We're talking Walmart, Exxon, uh, Chevron, Berkshire Hathaway, Apple, GM, Phillips 66, and GE. Eight companies, number one through eight on the Fortune 500 list. Their profits in 2015, it would still be $10 billion 
short of 150 billion. You see, this world is not what it appears to be. This is not my world that I live in. This is not your world that you live in. But this is Gideon's world. Gideon spends every single day here on this lake called Lake Volta in Ghana. Lake Volta is the largest man-made lake in the world. And Gideon must spend 12 to 18 hours a day every single day on this lake because he was trafficked by this man. This man who came into his village and stole him and his brother, Gideon and his younger brother, from their mother. To work in this fishing industry on Lake Volta in Ghana. But Gideon is just one of an estimated 10,000 boys that are trafficked on this lake. Many of them just five or six years old. Young boys must dive into the water to untangle the nets from the the forest of submerged trees. You you remember it's a man-made lake, and so there are limbs and there are roots that are are, everywhere. So as the nets get tangled, these young boys must dive into the water. And the conditions are very treacherous because the children are sick and they are diseased because of parasites in the water. They are often beaten and abused by their masters. And many of them don't even know how to swim, so oftentimes they will drown. Before IJM opened up a field office in Ghana, we sent our undercover investigators onto the lake to do some research. We interviewed over a thousand kids, and what we found was that 60% of the children that we found on the lake were in fact there by force. One of the most harrowing encounters that we had was when our investigators first met Gideon. When we got here, we found it to be one of the most horrific things that we had seen in in the work that we do. Um, When we got here, we interviewed over a thousand kids and and, and saw them in the most horrible condition on these boats, working anywhere from 10 to 18 hours a day physically abused in the most awful ways, uh, not fed, the majority of them sick, and we knew that this was something that IGM had to impact since few, if any, people were actually doing so. All of those kids up to that point um, were very, very exhausted. They were very reluctant to speak to us for fear of their owners, um, except for Gideon. And as we pulled up next to him, he immediately reached out to me and, and begged me to take him out of the situation, saying that his the man that, that was his owner was, as he called him, wicked and had beaten him every day since he had been with the man um, for 11 years. And he described being hungry and just wanting more than anything to get off the boat. And something about Gideon just, um, just connected with me more than any of the other children, such that uh, having to leave him that day and continue our assessment um, pretty much haunted me for the, the next year and a half. You can appreciate the suffering and the hopelessness that Gideon endures every single day. For Gideon to go up to a complete stranger, someone he had never met, and to say, please just rescue me off of this boat. Please just rescue me because even the unknown is better than what is known, which is my everyday subject, subjection to violence. 
And this is the reality for 10,000 boys on a lake. This is the reality for 36 million children, men and women worldwide. The shock and the sadness that you feel testify to the fact that the world is not what it appears to be. What do you tell a boy who's been beaten and abused and forced every day for 11 years, forced under the wicked rule of an owner? Can you tell Gideon that God is still good? Can you, tell, do you, can you tell him and look him in his eyes and say that God is still good? Or even yet, take a step back. Do we, sitting here in this room, after hearing his story, do we believe that God is still good? When you have 10,000 boys on a lake, is God still good? When you have millions of girls being sold in brothels, is God still good? Well, look at what it says in Psalm Chapter 10, it says, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. You see, the Bible says that God is a good God. He is one who hears the cry of the oppressed. He is one that not only just hears the cry, but will step up and defend the fatherless and defend the oppressed. His objective is that oppression and affliction and injustice will never prevail over other human beings. And so God has a plan to show the world, to show those 36 million Uh, slaves in the world, that God is still good. Do you want to know what the plan is? We are the plan. We are the plan. The body of Christ, the church, is the plan for God to show the world that he is good. And it turns out that he doesn't have a plan B. Not because he can't think of anything, but it's actually because he knows that the church is able to do it. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 58. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. If you look at the context in Isaiah 58, uh, the, the, the Israelites are complaining to God and saying, God, why don't we feel more of the, your presence in our lives? Why don't we understand your, your presence with us more uh, tangibly? And they say, they, they, they basically go off and rattle off their resume. God, we do this for you, and we give, and we pray, and we serve, and we fast. And God's rebuke to them. Can you go back to the slide? God's rebuke to them is... Isn't this the fasting that we want? For you to to, to loose the chains of injustice. For you to set the oppressed free. You see, as our faith develops and it, it, it boils up and it manifests itself into love. And this love that just begins to build in our hearts. And really, oftentimes in our spiritual lives, this love just becomes to well over into our lives. And it spills over into this robust sense of loving myself. And as I begun, begin to love God, I begin to really just kind of love myself, and as that love begins to grow, it, 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 it spills over into loving my family and loving my wife and loving my kids. And on a really good day, it spills over to the people that, that love me back. 
And so I was like, okay, I have love for you because you love me. And you see, there's like eight to ten people in the world that, that, that this love, you know, builds up. And God says to you, isn't my, isn't the love that I'm after, isn't the fasting that I'm after to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to love the orphan and the widow, and to, and to take care of the poor? You see, what Movement Sunday is about is an opportunity for us to be able to open our eyes and lift our heads and see the world, the landscape of the world, the worldview of this earth, and see the people the way that God sees the people. Not just the 8 to 10 people in my life that I love on a daily basis, but to expand our view. Isn't this the kind of love? Isn't this the kind of faith? Isn't this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? You see, if Christians respond to oppression in the world, showing that the world, showing the world that God is good, they will see a good God. If they see Christians responding to injustice, they will see a good God responding to injustice. And so what do we do with Gideon? Gideon, who was living 11 years on a boat, beaten and abused every single day, well, it turns out we are the plan for Gideon. Or you take someone like Joe T. Joe T., who was trying to provide money for her family, and so she took a job in a far-off city. And in the van ride there, some women gave her a cup of tea that had been drugged. And when Joe T. awoke, she was sold into a brothel in Mumbai for $250. And Joe T. was beaten for three days, and eventually succumbed to the will of the brothel owner where she must serve 15, 20 men every single day, never seeing the light of day and being able to go let outside from this brothel seven days a week. Well, it turns out that we are the plan for someone like Joti. So how do we do this? Well, what do we do with this issue of injustice? Because injustice can seem so uh, just overwhelming. It can become something that is almost you know, difficult for us to be able to manage. And the thing is that injustice for us can mean so many different things that it really means nothing in our world. Because the injustice that we face is the guy in front of us at the checkout counter who has more than 12 items, Right. But the injustice that we're talking about in the world is something that can feel so overwhelming that we don't know, we become crippled. In fact, the story that was read for us in the scriptures uh, tell the story of the disciples as they encounter something that was a seemingly insurmountable task. So in Mark chapter 6, in verse 37, it says, you know, Jesus is teaching the 5,000 men on a hill, and, and he's teaching the 10,000 people on the hill. And the disciples recognize this, and they say, hey, Jesus, I think it would be good to release the people into the village, let them get something to eat, and then come back. And I recognize just the danger of preaching about someone preaching too long and the people getting hungry. So I just want to call that out, okay? But so Jesus is preaching a long time, and the disciples are saying, hey, this is going on a little bit. Uh, maybe we should let the people go. And uh, we pick up the story in Mark chapter 6 where it says, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. The disciples were like, uh, that would take more than a half year's wages. We just don't have that money. We don't have that cash. And Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, well, what do you have? Okay, you don't have enough, but what do you have? 
And then he says, go and see. And then when they found out, the disciples, they found out that they had five loaves and two fish. And says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, giving thanks, and breaking the loaves, he says, they all ate and were satisfied. You see, we can feel like the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, how are we going to do this? How are we going to feed 5,000 men, 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish? You could sit here and say, Jesus, this issue of injustice, we're the plan for it. Well, how are we going to free 36 million slaves with just the people here in this room? How are we going to free 10,000 boys on a lake? How are we going to free Gideon or Joe T with just what we have? Well, at IJM, we have constructed a model where we partner with the local police. We partner with the local authorities. Because the problem is that the anti-slavery laws don't exist. That's not the problem. It's that the anti-slavery laws are not enforced. And so what we do is we want to partner with the local authorities, which means police and lawyers and judges and magistrates and all throughout the, 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 the welfare system, the social work system, we partner with those authorities. And really what we do is we do four things. The first thing that we do is we rescue the victims. Because after all, we want to be able to free the oppressed. We want to free the slave. And so what we do is we employ a bunch of undercover investigators that will do the work of finding out where the slaves are and casing the, the brick kiln or you know, the, the woodcutting factory or the brothel and presenting that information to the police and saying to the police, you need to do something about this. And so we at IJM are not the boots that kick down the door. We go with the police right behind them as they kick down the door. But having rescued the victim, we recognize that we need to do the next thing, which is restore the survivors. We recognize that we cannot just simply release them out into society. We must restore them. So we employ not only undercover investigators, we employ social workers as well. We partner with local NGOs that work in the aftercare field in that city, in that country, to be able to restore them back to health and back to society. But we also recognize that it's not enough to rescue them and restore them because we must go after the criminal. We must work to restraining the criminals. And so it's not just investigators and social workers. We're actually a bunch of lawyers as well. 95% of our employees are nationals of the country that we work in. And so these countries, our lawyers in Ghana are from Ghana. And so these lawyers will stand with the victims of oppression, victims of slavery, and stand with them in court and work at getting the slave owners thrown in jail. In 2011, our largest uh, rescue operation to date was 510 victims of slavery in a brick kiln in, um, in Chennai, India. And so we rescued the victims and we, wor- we worked with the, the partner uh, organizations to restore them and give them with the government uh, a, a certificate of release to be able to get uh, back on their feet in society. But what happened in 2011 was that the, we were not able to secure the arrest and conviction of the brick factory owner. And so just a few months ago, we had a larger rescue operation That was 510 people in 2011. We actually had a rescue operation of 564 people just a few months ago, this year, at the same brick factory. You see, when the criminal does not go to jail, within months he is able to replenish the amount of slaves that he employs. But the good news is that this time 
he was thrown in jail and he was arrested for what he has done. And so we hope to secure his conviction and be able to close down that brick factory because it's not just enough to rescue and restore. We have to go after the restrainment of the perpetrator. Now, as we partner with the local authorities in freeing the slave and restoring the survivor and restraining the criminal, we are partnering with the local authorities, and so we end up actually repairing the justice system. And so what ends up happening is that we work with the local authorities to build up their own systems to be able to do the work that we are doing. So ultimately, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job in these places. So you remember Gideon. Gideon, who uh, reached out to our investigator for help that day. And you have to understand, our investigator, as, as heart-wrenching as it was, needed to sail away from Gideon that day because we were undercover. We were doing an undercover assessment, a baseline prevalence study of slavery on Lake Volta. And so we were not able to provide rescue for Gideon. But a year and a half later, we, we opened up our field office in Ghana, and we were ready to launch our first rescue operation. Now, we don't know. This is the largest man-made lake in the world. When we go out on the lake, we don't know who we're going to encounter. But in faith, believing and hoping against all hope, we named the operation Operation Gideon. Gide, <laughs>
Just over a year ago, in March of 2015, Gideon was rescued. And he's being restored back to health and back to society, along with nine other boys. Because we are the plan. We are loosing the the chains of injustice for these ten boys. And you remember Joe T. Joe T., who spent every day for seven years in a brothel. Every single day. Well, our team in Mumbai infiltrated the brothel with the partnership with local police. And we were conducting an operation with the local authorities that brought rescue and freedom to Joe T. And in our aftercare system where actually Joe T. became a Christian and received faith in Christ through our aftercare program, which just paused there for a moment and recognized that for Joe T., Understanding Jesus as a Savior is not some abstract concept, but Jesus is actually her Savior because the body of Christ showed up to bring freedom. Well, Joe T. led us on another rescue operation with police that freed seven other girls. And this one other girl in that rescue operation led us to another area of the brothel where we actually broke down a false wall in that brothel, and we were able to rescue 24 other girls. Dozens of girls chained in slavery and sex trafficking are all free because the body of Christ decided to show up in the dark underbelly of the Mumbai Red Light District. Through our justice system transformation, through the model of work uh, that IJM does, we've seen We've seen it work. We've seen the model work to put an end to slavery and sex trafficking. And we are changing lives like the lives of Gideon and Joti. But we're not just changing individual lives. We are changing cities. You take the city of Cebu in the Philippines. We conducted a study where we wanted to do our work and partner with authorities for four years. And our goal was to see a drop of 20% of the availability of young minors. But we actually saw a drop of 79% of the availability of young minors. Little children, 15 years and younger, available for the sex trade in that city of Cebu. But we're not just changing lives and changing cities. We are changing countries as well. If you take a look at the country of Cambodia, once thought to be ground zero for the availability of young girls available for prostitution, you would have wealthy individuals from all over the globe flying to Cambodia into these remote villages because they knew that this is where they were able to find young girls. In 2003, Unofficial estimates were as high as 15 to 30% of all the prostitutes and all the girls in brothels, 30% of them were under 15. We opened up a field office in Cambodia, and over the last decade, we've seen the availability of young minors nearly eradicated in the brothel industry in those areas. So much so that we've seen it, the, the last prevalence study went from 30% unofficially 13 years ago to less than one-tenth of one percent now. We are changing lives and changing cities and changing countries. And with the work that we're doing in places like Mumbai and Dominican Republic and all throughout the world, we are changing the world. 
We've seen over in our history over 28,000 victims of oppression rescued. We are breaking the bonds of slavery and sex trafficking literally for thousands every single year, making us the largest anti-slavery organization in the world today because we are the plan. Gideon is free. Joti is free. 32 girls in Mumbai are free, and 28,000 are free. If you go back to the account of Jesus and the disciples, and you can understand the hopelessness of the disciples as they look at the magnitude of the need, the magnitude of the need and the meagerness of their resources. And the disciples very easily could have dismissed themselves and say, Jesus, this is not something for us. You would have given us more money. You would have given us more resources. You would have given us more time. You would have given us more people. God, this simply must not be my task. But Jesus' command is very clear. It says, you give them something to eat. And well, the disciples said, no, 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 we don't have enough. There's not enough for us to be able to do this. Jesus simply said, well, what do you have? You see, while the disciples were focusing on what they did not have, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough resources, there is not enough infrastructure, Jesus simply says, well, what do you have? The disciples were focusing on what they did not have, Jesus was focusing on what they did have. And that's when a little boy stepped forward with five loaves of bread and two fish and said, will this help? And Jesus took those loaves and those fish and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke it and it says they all ate and they all were satisfied. I want to invite you today to respond to the message that you've heard today, to take up the challenge, to look inside of your life, to look inside, take an inventory of your own influence and your own resources and to be able to answer the question that Jesus may be asking you here today, well, what do you have? Inside your program, if you could take out this envelope here uh, that was given to you uh, in your programs, this is an opportunity for you to become a freedom partner with International Justice Mission. This is an opportunity for you to partner with us. This is a monthly donation of $24 a month or more. Um, And this is an opportunity for you to be able to sign up to join us in the work of ending slavery uh, today. You see, the opportunity for us is one that we can, we can quit our jobs and we can sell our homes and we can move to Ghana. We can become a lawyer and we can work in the Ghanaian justice systems. Or we can keep our jobs and we can keep our homes and we can keep our cars and we can keep our families here. And we can work and support the people that are working to do the work in Ghana and in Mumbai and in Cambodia and in the Dominican Republic. What you want to do is just take this top part of this envelope here and just tear this off. And as you fill this out, you can just take a pen and fill this out right now. We're going to have the ushers come forward in just a bit. Um, Just fill this out and put this in, in the envelope, and then you can drop this off in the basket. So just go ahead and take out a pen if you'd be willing to answer the challenge that you're hearing today to become a freedom partner with IJM. And as you're doing that, as you're filling that out, I'd like to just end with one story. This story is the story of Elmina Castle. Elmina Castle is a common tourist spot in the country of Ghana. But the Elmina Castle has actually a dark history that goes all the way back to the, North, uh, the transatlantic slave trade, the 340 transatlantic slave trade uh, in human history. 
And this was actually one of the, the popular trading posts of slaves, where slaves were, were sent out of a dungeon underneath Elmina Castle. And this dungeon has this one vent that would allow airflow to this dungeon. And uh, this vent that was there, you can imagine the sort of disease and the suffocation and the, 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 the helplessness that, that was provided by having all of these people in this dungeon with only one vent. But significant about this vent is that this vent was at the door of a church that met on Elmina Castle. And so you, the, the picture that we have of this vent is that churchgoers were literally stepping over this vent as the literal cries for freedom filled the air around them. And for those churchgoers, they could no longer choose ignorance of the problem anymore. They had to willfully choose not to help. Well, today, you have heard the cries of 36 million children, men, and women throughout the world who are enslaved. You have heard the cries of 10,000 boys on a lake in Ghana. You have heard the cries of little girls in brothels in Mumbai. And you can no longer choose ignorance of the problem anymore. You must willfully choose not to help. Or you can help. You can answer the call that Jesus asks you, what do you have? What influence do you have? You can raise awareness to this problem. You can let people know that slavery still exists in the world. You can leverage the influence of your relationships. Or you can leverage the influence through your prayers. Join us as a prayer partner as we do the work. We know that we need to invite God in to do the work. Or you can partner with us financially. Whatever way, leverage the resources that you have, because God is asking us, what do we have to be able to partner with us today? At this time, I'd like to call the ushers forward to pass the baskets to collect the uh, envelopes. And I want to remind us that, as we saw in the video of Gideon, as Gideon was rescued, uh, he asked us, IJM, he asked us to come back and return to be able to free his brother because his brother was not on the lake that day. My encouragement and my challenge to you is to pray with us because we as as an organization and we as the body of Christ do not want to go away until all are set free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you.